All right, we're live. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, everybody. We're here today with Kyle. Um, Ethan is our co-host. I'm your host, Scott Offord. And uh, Kyle, uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself first and how you fit into this whole ecosystem of the crypto mining industry? <laughs> this big, crazy puzzle of a world that we live in, man. Well, first of all, let me start off by saying, Scott, Ethan, really appreciate you guys for a couple different reasons. First of all, for allowing me to be here. I'm extremely grateful for that. Uh, but secondarily, the fact that you guys are building these kind of platforms in this industry means that you you both are becoming huge industry movers and shakers. And uh, it's a real pleasure to be operating in the same circle as you guys. It really awesome. is. Um, Thank you. I wish I, yeah. yeah, absolutely, guys. I wish I could say more about Ethan. This is my first time getting to get <laughs> getting to meet you. But I can certainly say anybody that comes through Scott's channels is someone that I have great respect for. So like I said, thank you, guys. Uh, as for me specifically, so my name is Kyle Heron. I'm the chief growth officer and former co well, and say former. It feels former now, but I'm the co-founder of Frontier Mining as well. Uh, my partner and I started the business about two and a half years ago, and it's been a pretty wild ride. Uh, you know, we, we kind of started in a very, as I was mentioning this word a second ago, a very circuitous path, which I think is kind of a common theme in this industry. It was, it wasn't just, hey, we woke up one day and said, let's go, you know, try to build massive 200 megawatt data centers. It was, we woke up one day and said, this emerging technology is really interesting. That's where the conversation all got started. And my partner and I, believe it or not, we actually met each other back when we were in second grade. We've known each other since we were about seven, eight years old. Uh, wow. He grew up around he grew up around the corner from me. After high school, we split off in two different directions. He landed in New York, I landed in Southern California, uh, and we were and we were completely out of touch with each other. But we always had this like burning desire to want to chase whatever the future might be. So years later, after college, we reconnected, and uh, I was running a consulting agency in, in in a little bit further Southern California than where I'm at now, which is Los Angeles, and. And uh, a couple blockchain companies came to me in 2017 and they said, hey, you know, we want to do this ICO thing. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. And once I, I remember that and once I found out what it was, I was still like, what is that? <laughs> It was um, it 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 was this really strange time, as you guys probably remember, where you were basically having pre-seed startups get funded with hundreds of millions of dollars, and then you know it didn't really add up the way that it was supposed to in terms of building a real business. Um, but they came to us anyway and said, "Hey, we want you to kind of brand and market us." So for me, as the savvy businessman that I am, I'm like, "Okay, well, what exactly do you do?" Uh, and then slowly and surely after that, I started to kind of delve into this world of blockchain, thanks to these ICO clients that came to me, and then. For, shortly thereafter failed their businesses because they didn't have any real products, which by the way, was the common theme of the ICOs at that time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember probably... those days. Yep. 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 Like I said, I mean, it's, the, it's, it, this is a world of basically pre-seed startups is what we're looking at right now. It's, it was, it was, it was a world of ideas at the time. It still really is today. Uh, but you know, they, they'd come to us and said, Hey, let's, you know, let's see what we can do together. So I fell into the world of blockchain because of that. Shortly thereafterwards, you know, I was kind of doing just some retail investing. And then I met, well, I, I shouldn't say I met, but I, I reconnected with my partner, uh, my current partner and my really good friend, Arlen, uh, who had been back, he was back from New York. Uh, he was he was in school there. He was back home. He was working a corporate job. He was absolutely hating it. You know, they were just grinding him to a T. Uh, and he, he came down to my office and he said, you know what, man, I'm really interested in getting in the startup world. And I gave him the whole razzle dazzle on, on what I was up to and I said, why don't you join the team? Uh, so he comes and we start working together. And and this was the question that forever changed my life and probably got me to this podcast today was he said, hey, do you pay for power in your incubator? 
And I'm like, <laughs> no, I actually, we don't. We were give, at the time, we, you know, we had free office space, free, you know, free power, free air conditioning, et cetera, uh, which as we turned, as it turned out, was going to make for a really nice mining environment for at least one machine. Uh, so he says, I'm going to bring something <laughs> down here. And uh, two days later, he shows up with this open air GPU rig, which to me at the time looked like PVC pipes and graphic cards. Um, I had no idea what I was really looking at, to be honest. That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's pretty much really that's pretty much what it is. That's what most what most of our data centers are too, just PVC pipes <laughs> and graphics cards. Uh, but he comes down and he plugs it into our office, and we had this little storage closet off to the side uh, where we had put some of our <laughs> put some of our interns. We put them in the closet, and so we said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna put this GPU miner." in there with you. We put it in, the room gets to 95 degrees in about an hour. Uh, and before I knew it, you know, I had made my, my, my entrance into mining for the first time. So, uh, you know, the long short of the story is Arland then, uh, you know, he really saw, he, I mean, he's, he was the visionary behind Frontier and he really saw this being an industry that was going to grow and further expand, particularly on the mining front, because he comes from the IT world and understands, you know, conventional data centers. So he kind of gave me the razzle dazzle and said, Hey, you know, um, I've got this idea. And it was basically to build these GPU machines and to kind of constrate, can construct custom portfolios and packages for high net worth investors um, so that they could have exposure into crypto, but they could have collateralized exposure. Uh, and that was really what made the pitch unique originally, because when Bitcoin was at 20K, a GPU miner was a pretty damn good offer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> especially to these institutional guys who were basically just looking for like your traditional real estate investment return. If they were seeing eight to 10% a year, they were stoked. Uh, and we were saying, well, we'll give you 20% a year. Oh, and you'll get exposure <laughs> to this new asset. Oh, and by the way, if this asset crashes, you can sell the graphics cards and probably recoup the majority of your investment. It was a hell of a pitch. Uh, and so they ate it up and that's where Frontier really got started was just basically selling these GPU machines. Uh, and then Arlen's and I, Unfortunately, like you guys probably remember, shortly thereafter, the end of 2017, the market said, hey, we're going to just absolutely go to the floor. <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. And Arlen and I had just started our business. I had left my previous company to partner up with him to form Frontier. And we're sitting there in Q1 of 2018, kind of with a uh, oh shit moment, if you know what I mean. Uh, we, it was like, <laughs> wait, we, we just dropped everything in our life to pursue this. And now the market is completely falling apart. Uh, so then it became a question of, well, you know, are we going to do what the great entrepreneurs try to do, which is pivot, or are we going to completely collapse this business and move on to something else? Um, and so what we did actually is, is we started to find that uh, Every GPU miner that was purchased through us, we had to put it somewhere. We had to actually place it somewhere, provide power, electricity, cooling. We were doing it in our parent company's office. We were leveraging some data center space that our parent company owned. Um, our parent company, by the way, is an MSP, so they're, they've been operating in the conventional data center space for some time. Uh, and we just started basically you know, kind of plugging our clients' machines in there. We threw up a form on our website, said, hey, if you want, we can host your machines too for like 20 cents per kilowatt hour. Uh, <laughs> but some... Some people came through the door and they and they said, sure, because it was just that crux of the market where people weren't sure. And they were like, well, it's a traditional data center. I need to find a home for this. There weren't that many hosts at the time, if you guys remember. Yeah. Uh, 
And so that's where our current business model began. It was about halfway through 2018, uh, where we were basically just co-locating our clients' machines, uh, our, our GPU clients' machines in our parent company's data center. Uh, shortly thereafter that, we partnered up with an actual mining facility out in Indiana. Uh, and then the journey basically took off from there. So to cut what could be a very long story, I can keep going, believe it or not, uh, to cut a very long story short, uh, after we made our official entrance into the hosting game uh, back in mid-2018 in Indiana, we expanded pretty quickly from there. Uh, from that point until now, end of 2019, uh, we've we've uh, hosted clients and operated data centers and in about six different locations in the U.S. So we've been in Indiana, Ohio, South Dakota, Texas, Georgia, Colorado, and recently in Calgary, Canada. Uh, we've worked with about everybody in the, in the industry, whether we've partnered with them, white labeled them, uh, shared clients with them, et cetera. You know, we're definitely one of the things that we really like to emphasize at Frontier. And here's my two second just pitch on what makes Frontier unique. And, and I hope that uh, other players in the industry can speak to this is we really just value the growth of this industry more than anything. Um, and we think that the growth of this industry is going to show up, not necessarily from trying to take every single penny from every single client and every single provider, but instead the growth of this industry is gonna come from building real legitimate customer centric sustainable businesses. Uh, and that's what we've done. We take a very ethical approach to how we run Frontier. We try to make sure everybody's taken care of along the way. Uh, and now we are entering 2020 with um, about 290 megawatts of power that we've got access wow. to. And uh, we're pretty excited to see what 2020 has in store. So that is the seven minute download of Frontier. Uh, happy to fill in the blanks, but I should probably stop talking for just a sec here. <laughs> <laughs> so Kyle, I, I have a quick question for you. Hopefully you've got better power rates now than, than 20 cents a kilowatt hour. <laughs> I can promise you, Ethan, it's gone progressively down over awesome. the years. Uh, but you know, to that to that same T, it's been a um, it's been an interesting journey figuring out how to get cheap, sustainable power. You know, that's not as I don't think the writing is as as on the wall as much as people think. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we all live within Telegram forums and and now WeChat and WhatsApp. Thanks to Scott, <laughs> we're, we're on just about yeah. every platform. I honestly was never I was barely ever using WeChat. And then Scott's like, hey, I'm going to start a hardware group in there. And I'm like, oh, God, not another one. <laughs> um, but, you know, this journey to finding cheap power, it's not just like, hey, let's just go down to like an like an oil drilling site in Texas and start grabbing flare gas um, because you're also now looking at from the side that there's a lot of different factors going into finding good cheap power. Uh, it's not just how cheap can be, it's what kind of environment it is, what kind of political climate is it in, mm -hmm. um, how much power really does exist, how long will that power last, who is the power provider, have they been in the power game before? Um, so, you know, one of the things that we've really emphasized, Ethan, and there's one of our, uh, that's actually one of our team members, Stephen. Hey, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy. Great to have him on our team. Uh, but, you know, what we've definitely found is that it's not about being the cheapest. That's what we've really figured out, Ethan. You know, it's about finding, it's about finding that middle ground between customer centricity, sustainability, mm -hmm. and cheap power. And if you can build all three of those and maintain uptime for your clients, yes, your clients are not going to be paying two cents per kilowatt hour, but they're going to be much happier in the long run. That, yeah. that absolutely makes sense, yeah. And Kyle, I, um, yeah, from what I know of you, you seem to be able to handle the, the small players and the big players uh, everywhere in between. Um, what, why don't you just tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, how you take on some of those smaller, uh, some of those smaller miners? 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Scott. Um, you know, we really look at it as we treat everybody the same. Uh, our business, believe it or not, was actually built off of clients that had between one and 10 miners, believe it or not. Um, we made our first major, you know, kind of revenue mark as a company, um, just taking the little guys because nobody else would take them. And we're like, well, hang on, rest of the industry. If I take a hundred little clients and I can yeah. bring, I can onboard them and turn them on, you know, in a matter of a couple of weeks. And it's taking you six months to find one big client who, by the way, is going to be grinding you down on price uh, and is going to be looking for every which way to cut corners because the big guys obviously have more leverage and more buying power. And I don't blame mm-hmm. them. Um, we said to ourselves, hey, let's go for what the low hanging fruit is. So that's really why we had, you know, began with building relationships with smaller miners. But the thing with smaller miners too, that people People I don't think give enough credit for. I think Chad Louderback came on talking and chatted about this a little bit. Um, is that the small miners tend to be the most savvy? They have to be because yeah. if they're going to survive in this space, they have to be able to know, um, you know, how to buy, how to buy the right machines, how to make strategic set sales of those machines at the right time, um, and then they have to know how to run them appropriately, whether that be you know certain mining management software, firmware, software, etc. Uh, so throughout the experience of working with the little guys, I think it's actually taught us a lot about how to stay lean as a business in this space um, and how to how to survive in a market that really isn't, at least in today's market, is not really well suited for small clients. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like staying lean and nimble is, uh, especially through the tough times, is a skill that, um, you know, these guys are building up. And I think it's going to be valuable for them in the future you know, as mining grows, as farms grow, you know, there's going to be farms that are going to be looking for these guys that have, you know, been through the, the you know, the trenches and the mud and the roughest of the rough, you know, to to keep their fine, keep their farms mining optimally. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, you know, a lot of people don't see it that way, I guess, you know, they're, they're just seeing it as surviving. But I see this as industry job training that, you know, nobody 100%. else can give you. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah, before I go into the next question, though, I would like to thank our sponsors, Nova Block. Nova Block came here in North America and opened up a pool back in August 2019. And in four short months, they've managed to become um, one of the top 15 public mining pools in the world. They believe that as hash rate shifts from China into North America, they want to be a part of that decentralization. They want to offer their customers transparency and education so they can be informed on what pool works best for them. Thank you, yeah. Nova Block. Thank you. Nova we Block. Have, um, yeah, Nova Block. So we have a, a special offer today uh, from our sponsor, Nova Block. Uh, you can go to their website on the top right hand corner. There's a sign up button. When you're signing up, Use the invitation code OFFERED18, O-F-F-O-R-D-1-8, and you can get a permanent reduction in your mining fees down to 1.8%. And also, if you have a a lot more hash power to throw at it, uh, you can get even a better rate. So just talk to Vincent at novablock.com there and uh, give it a try. Thank you. Pretty good deal. (laughs) Pretty good deal. So, Kyle, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, now that you've been through what you've been through, um, mm-hmm. What are some just kind of hard stops that you've put into place to make sure that, you know, the next two years are going to be successful for you in mining? 
You mean the strategies that we've put in place? Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you've, you've survived the crypto winter. So yeah, yeah survived two crypto winters. It feels yeah, like because the last yeah, couple definitely. months have, have not been super friendly. Uh, and then it was, and then the thing that people also didn't take into account is that yes, we did survive the crypto winter, but we also survived the crypto summer. And I don't mean when crypto was, you know booming. I mean, when we just had the hottest summer on global record a couple months ago, and I was trying to run That's data true. centers in Georgia and Texas, right. uh, it, it presented a lot of challenges. So to, I mean, kudos to our team. I'm very, very fortunate to be working with some really talented people who are able to, um, who are able to, you know, kind of mitigate really challenging scenarios. But secondarily to that, fortunately, clients get it too. Um, and that's one of the things that we really value in our business. So when you talk about Ethan, how have we made it this far, knowing that we've been a lot of roadblocks have been thrown our way, I give a lot, a lot of credit to our clients. I really do. Uh, because it's a hard space, number one, for them to yeah. operate in. Uh, and then number two, it's even harder to host your miners in a data center that is not going to guarantee you 100% uptime because I can't give you that cheap rate if I do guarantee you 100% uptime. So like it's a constant, it's a constant ebb and flow of trying to understand as a client, shoot, this market is really tough. I need to make sure my miners are online 100% of the time because yeah. I'm, I'm looking at this as an, on an ROI clock and I'm looking at, and a lot of miners, unfortunately, they liquidate really quickly. So they're basically mm -hmm. looking at what Bitcoin's value is today, not what Bitcoin's value is gonna be in five years. Uh, it's unfortunate, but they have power bills that they have to pay at yeah. the end of the day. Then on our side of the table, we're sitting over here like, man, like this is, this is tricky. Like you have these super hot summers. Um, you've got data centers that are going to experience issues, whether it be from heat, from power failures, et cetera. Uh, and so how do we weather those storms? A lot of it is by creating a really transparent, open relationship with our clients. Um, and by creating that collective consciousness as a business where our, our clients, um, just like a client in a, um, it, so to a degree, like a client, like a, like think of it as like an advisor role in a young company where you get mm -hmm. to see, so you get to see some of how the company works. That's the relationship that we have with a lot of our clients. Um, and I think because we bring them into the fold, because they've been with us since day one, um, they have a greater appreciation for what we do. And they ride, they ride the waves with us and the storms that the storms that have brought, you know, brought challenges to us, our clients have been our biggest supporters through that time. So that's part of the reason why I think, um, you know, we've been able to, to get through what we've gone through. Um, now, secondarily to that, of course, like one of the easiest ways to weather a storm um, is by creating strong industry relationships as well. And I would say that's the second piece. Um, but if you'll note, like the two first pieces that I mentioned have nothing to do with good infrastructure and cheap power, because to us, um, you can't survive unless you have good, in good infrastructure and relatively inexpensive power. Like I almost mm -hmm. look at those as being the lowest common denominators in this space. If you don't have that stuff taken care of, um, there's a good chance that you're not going to be able to... Uh, you guys hear that? Yeah. yeah. Somebody's house burning down. Somebody's house. Oh, there it goes. Okay. Someone's house was burning down. Like I said, hot summers, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but as, as I, as I, what I basically was saying is that, you know, the lowest common denominators in the space are having great infrastructure and inexpensive power. Like we, we know that, that, that those are needed, but how do you differentiate yourself beyond that? Um, and again, great relationships with our customers and then great relationships with industry players for sure. Right. Um, I look at guys like, I look at guys like Scott, I look, I'll give a couple shout outs here. I look at guys like Mason from Blockware Solutions, guys like Joe Steph 
Stefanelli, guys like Jim Musgrave. I mean, there's a long list of people that we've gone, um, you know, above and beyond to make sure are continuously taken care of for two reasons. Number one, they're friends of ours, bottom line. You know, everybody in this industry has become a friend. If you guys have been to some of the conferences, you see how familial this organization or this this industry really is. There's there's definitely an underlying brotherhood, sisterhood type of thing going on. Realistically, more of a brotherhood, but we're working on getting more women. In, we're working on getting more women in this industry. Friends we here. are. Frontier is actually about 40% female, um, and we're pretty proud of that. Uh, and That's we're continu awesome. continuing to try to pump that number up. Uh, but in any case, what I was mentioning is that, you know, we really try to make sure that we take care of everybody that we work with, because we find that in this industry, what goes around comes back around. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you, if you burn one bridge, you're likely going to burn a lot more. Um, so yeah. We, we definitely value relationships in this, in this space a lot. Uh, and then I think, of course, like the third piece going back to you know, the hard truths, Ethan, of running a business and mining right. is, yeah. you know, we, we've definitely spent a lot of time figuring out how to effectively run a mining center. Um, now that we've been able to operate in multiple states and multiple jurisdictions, with multiple techs, um, and with a mul and just a huge, huge long list of different miners that we've had hosted with us, uh, I think we've figured out a lot of the best practices now in terms of what it takes to run a business in this space. We're far from perfect. I mean, I think there's a long ways that we have to go, um, and and many and many players in the space have to go operationally be, to being able to make a client feel like they are, you know, your top priority because the 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 fact of the matter is that when you're running, you know, when you're running a big data center and you've got clients who are as small as one to five miners and clients that are as big as, you know, a thousand to 2000 miners, a lot of what we try to do is figure out how to be operationally efficient enough. So every client feels like they've got equal value and weight within the organization. Um, and as a startup, that that is as a, as a as a startup like frontier um that was only built two and a half years ago but has now scaled to where it where it's at today um i think operational efficiency is a really key component um in the data center in the infrastructure in the power and in your relationships uh with your clients so finding the balance between those four pieces uh, is definitely something that we continue to strive for and and we're pretty excited about where we've come today and what we've currently got under you know under our roof because we're 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 doing that, I think, pretty well now. And, and shout out to our team for making it all happen. Nice. Um, so one thing that I wanted to ask you is, you know, what, what do you think will be the backbone of technologies of the future? That's a great question, Scott. I know it is. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I, for some reason, I feel like it would be a question that I would write. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, when I look at the technological backbone of the future, I think that mining is actually driving a lot of that trend. Uh, and that's why that's why that question is, is really interesting to me. Um, so here's the thing, and I'm not a data center guy, so like I'm sure there are many smarter people than me out there that could answer this question better. But here's what I do know. I know that data centers are very expensive and I know they're overbuilt. It's just, it's been a reality for a long time. Um, and the problem is because they're like, they're, they're very expensive and they're very overbuilt, you end up having an end cost out the door to the client that is also very expensive. Um, and because of the, because the price is so expensive to a client, you now also are limiting the client's ability uh, to diversify their, like diversify their risk. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you look at like what traditional, uh, traditional data center infrastructure is in an ideal world, you're distributing. I don't know why that keeps going off, guys. Sorry about that. Um, 
Did you mute yourself? I, I was letting you know that my mic was actually turned off. I don't know where it's coming from, but it's, I don't know it's where it's me. coming from either. I don't. No. I, I think I think there's a good chance it's coming from here. Uh, but if you look at traditional data center infrastructure, the bottom line is if you want, if you're a like if you're trying to create a decentralized storage, right? For example, and you don't and you and you don't necessarily you want to do a like a private decentralized storage. So you you're basically distributing your assets across multiple physical locations. Um, in the in the crypto and blockchain industry, you've got companies like um, like Filecoin, um, where or the, what's that? The um, uh, Scott, help me out here. The it's the decentralized storage system behind Filecoin. Uh, oh, so it's IPFS, no, um, right? Yeah, the the Psycoin. Yeah, it's the interplanetary file system, right? Okay. Um, IPFS, where basically what you're doing is you're just distributing assets across multiple, multiple, um, multiple nodes on the network, effectively, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I look at now we've got this, we've got the ultra decentralized world of crypto of of crypto mining, right? Where basically you can effectively power the network out of your home with the IPFS. You can you can basically partake in this decentralized storage model out of your home, and then you've got the the fully other side of the spectrum, the polar opposite of the spectrum, which is traditional data centers, which are these massive physical locations um, that, that really because of their size, infrastructure, weight, et cetera, cannot be as easily distributed. So logically there's a middle ground to that. And that's where I think that like the techno technological backbone of the future is to be found. Uh, and so what I really see thing, what I, what I see going, what I see the future looking like is actually, I, I see data centers looking a lot like mining centers um, where you've got things like, let's just break it down to you know really simple terms, like take a storage container, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Which is now these 40 bay storage containers have been converted effectively into mining centers. Well, think about it like this. If we're talking about technological backbone of the future, every major city of the future wants to become a Singapore, right? It wants to become mm -hmm. on the bleeding edge. It wants to be able to have it wants to be able to have, uh, you know, computer vision in its stoplights. It wants to be able to have, uh, you know, blockchain running its running its logistics systems. I mean, these these future cities are going to require a bunch of computational power. But the only way to be able to acquire that computational power uh, is going to be theoretically by by effectively renting it from data centers. But the problem is then you have the latency issue, right? Where if a data center, mm -hmm. if the data centers are so expensive to build out, they're going to at the end of the day, they're going to be they're not going to be as widely spread out as we would like. And so then when you have something like a Google Stadia or Google Stadia project, which is Google's cloud gaming initiative, for mm -hmm. theoretically, if you want to be able to decrease latency and run a game on your computer at full speed, you need to have a data center and, and that, that doesn't have any uh, local hardware. You need to have a data center that's, you know, within 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 stone, a, a stone's throw from your location. Sure. Um, but again, very challenging to do because of the cost to build. And so it gets to my final point, which is that what if there was a world where we were able to take, you know, your traditional mining infrastructure and you're able to basically put it adjacent to all major cities? Right, and then what you and it, it, within that mining infrastructure, you would have traditional server infrastructure. So, like, say you took a forty by eight storage container and filled it up with Xboxes, and you put it directly next to, you know, a suburb of Los Angeles, and then all the kids in that local neighborhood now could basically play an Xbox mm. um, without any latency issues. Um, but it, on the on Microsoft side, they're able to deploy it for a for significantly cheaper cost uh, than mm -hmm. if they were to go build a full data center. So yeah. it's a very long winded way of saying Scott that I basically look at the technological backbone of the future as being really fragmented and really distributed, and I think it's going to become more effectively distributed by being able to use the practices that we've taken from our industry. Yeah, well, and it sounds like uh, it has a little bit of uh, commonality with the the five G network that's that's uh, coming up. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how, you know, instead of having these uh, towers that are further apart, you have uh, smaller, mm-hmm. you know, uh, towers closer together and, and really just uh, more of like a, a mesh system going on. Um, 100%. Yeah. yeah, that's where I see computational power going. And then, and of course, the like the logical next step from that is, okay, so we've decreased latency, we've decreased cost to build, which means we're decreasing operational cost um, mm-hmm. to the end customer. Well, now we've got, what's the, the next question I always love answering, and I'm actually kind of curious to hear your guys' perspective on this before I give mine, because I preach this all the time. What do you think the evolution of mining looks like? And what I mean by that is not necessarily what does the next S17 look like, but mm-hmm. more of a, how, what does the future of monetizing computational power look like? I'm really curious yeah. to hear your guys' thoughts on that. That That's a good question. I, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily an expert on it, um, but I, I think, like you were saying, uh, it, there's all sorts of different types of, of things that could be computed, you know, whether it's um, uh, self-driving cars or um, cryptocurrency, wh- whatever needs to be processed, you know, uh, video rendering. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I just I'm just really excited that we are in this uh, the very beginning, the, the startup of, of this new industry that's, that's coming around, you know, um, yeah. So what, what do you think, Ethan? Um, I'm a firm believer that uh, we're going to move away from conventional and traditional manufacturing materials, uh, copper, gold, silicone. Um, and we're going to segue more into these new novel materials, graphene, carbon nanotubes, which is basically graphene um, and optics using glass instead of copper wire to transmit data. Um, an interesting fact is a lot of people think that electrons move through wire at the speed of light, and that's not actually the case. They actually move at about a third of the speed of light. So by simply replacing the wires in, in a transmission system with, you know, fiber, with, with optics, um, we get very, like, we can run like 99.9% the speed of light. And that would speed up every, even the greatest technology that we have today by a factor of at least three, just simply by switching over to those technologies. So I believe, you know, the the next big breakthroughs that are going to be happening is we're going to switch to different manufacturing materials and manufacturing technologies um, to increase our compute power and increase our efficiency. A lot of people don't understand is, you know, what's slowing that electron down through that wire is resistance. And that resistance gives a side effect of heat. Um, when light travels through glass, it has very little restriction, very little um, resistance and, and doesn't give off any heat or very, very little heat. Um, and so that, you know, just by simply changing those materials will increase our efficiency by, you know, magnitudes of thousands. Um, and that's where I see things going. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. Ethan, hell of an answer. Scott, your answer sounded a lot more like mine. Uh, we are clearly not as intelligent as Ethan is, but I, I think it's fascinating to see where the two worlds blend, right? Um, because Ethan basically talks about, well, okay, y- you guys are right. Like, yes, the future computational infrastructure is going to be distributed. It's going to appear in many forms. It's not just going to be mining. It's going to be all these different ways that we can trade computational power. But Ethan looks at it from the perspective of how do we do it faster? 
right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's the same perspective that I look at it from is how do we do it faster, which is why I was talking about this, this mini distributed data center model where you've got containers theoretically placed adjacent to major metropolitan cities where you can mm -hmm. decrease latency for local applications. Um, but I, and that's, that kind of leads into basically how I look at it, Scott, which is the same way you look at it, which is that mining is not the end all be all for the trading of computational power. And that's what I look at mining as being. That's all it is. It's it's me saying to the blockchain network, let's personify blockchain for a second. Hey, blockchain, you want to use my computer? Yeah, sure. Can I pay you a bit for it? No problem, man. Uh, unfortunately, you can't set a flat fee on what the blockchain network will pay you. Uh, it would be nice, but the blockchain network, of course, thanks to difficulty in the price of Bitcoin, is constantly fluctuating like what you actually get paid at the end of the day as a miner. Um, but that being said, I think that there is going to be a model that exists where we are able to create a much more attractive offering to institutional players who don't necessarily want this this incredibly volatile exposure into crypto. Um, and that's where we get into the world of basically high pro high hbc or high processing compute high density compute mm -hmm. um and that it will manifest in some of the things that scott said which is like film rendering ai deep learning cloud gaming cloud computing cloud storage like there's a long list of items that have massive computational demands um and i think that what we're going to eventually get, get into is my guess i'm, I'm gonna uh, you you heard it here first guys my guess is that a lot of the miners that we are currently buddies with uh, especially the guys who have you know significant capital deeply involved in this space my guess is that within the next two to three years we're going to start seeing 20 20 to 25 percent of their operation dedicated to specific gpu infrastructure that can be utilized for these other purposes the reason i the reason i say it's not going to happen today is is because the demand for it is not there yet just that's the main that's the primary issue um the demands for it not, is not there there's not enough uh you know kind of just um there's not enough basically uh independent film rendering jobs out there like the major mm -hmm. players like the pixars etc they're going to you know massive data centers like switch for example out in vegas and they're yeah. saying hey you know we'll, we'll put our gpu infrastructure there um but when we start having like you know your buddy down the street who just got a brand new canon red and is shooting an 8k and can't edit it can't edit his film locally <laughs> i i wouldn't be surprised if he went to um uh, you know, a like a like a like a, a marketplace, like a computational marketplace, and said, "Hey, I want to go rent this GPU for a three-hour period to render my film." Mm, right. Well, the cool thing, the cool thing is that, hey, Scott actually owns that GPU, and even better, that GPU is in my data center. So now, mm -hmm. the, the great, the cool part of this ecosystem now is that Scott comes to me and says, "Hey, Kyle, I got you. I'll pay your." 13 cents, 14 cents per kilowatt hour rate. The reason Scott's paying more is because I have to offer him traditional data center infrastructure. But mm -hmm. the even better news for Scott is that he is not trying to mine Bitcoin anymore. He is selling computational power, which has, mm -hmm. I mean, how do you value that? You can only, like, there's no, basically, if you kind of value it based off what the market's currently paying. And right, right. now, a, a Pixar will pay 35 cents per kilowatt hour to render a film. Wow. Um, so now we're talking about Scott instead of going and making, you know, 10, maybe three, four dollars a day with an ASIC, he's making 20, 30 dollars a day by doing film rendering projects. And mm -hmm. he's making it in a fiat currency, which I know to all of like the Bitcoin evangelists listening to this podcast, like, no, <laughs> not fiat. But like, <laughs> the, I, I still think fiat has a place in the world. Um, oh, yeah. And if, and if anything, go convert it, like go buy Bitcoin with it. But at least you know that you're going to be getting a guaranteed return versus a one day I make 20 cents and one day I make 
three dollars you know what i mean well i i don't know i think uh within the next two or three years that that might be a, a reality where we don't have to uh, do that kind of thing based off of a a, a fiat dollar yes yeah but yes, 100%. we'll see hey kyle it's it's been uh, a great time talking with you we're gonna wrap it up here and thank you for personifying blockchain like that <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so why don't you just uh, quickly tell us how we can find you online and how we can, how our audience can uh, follow up with you. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Well, again, Scott and Ethan, it was a real pleasure. Thank you guys so much yeah, for likewise. having me here. Um, great to chat with you guys. I could talk about mining all day with a couple other industry <laughs> experts. So there's a lot of fun. Uh, in terms of Frontier, so we've got some, a couple quick exciting updates I want to let the audience know about. We're launching a new facility in Calgary, Canada that I mentioned. It's a 200 megawatt natural gas site. Uh, and uh, it's going to have all of the all of the bells and whistles of a great mining site. So we're really excited to share that with the world and, and get that going in Q1 of next year. Uh, we also have our facility in Colorado. That's an indoor facility, 90 megawatts with approximately 15 megawatts of infrastructure ready to roll. So if you're looking for a home for your new machines, please feel free to reach out. Uh, in terms of how you can find us, we're pretty easy. You can actually just go to Google and type in Antminer Hosting. We're the number one result on there, which we're pretty proud of. Uh, but you can also go to frontiermining.co uh, and you can find me on basically every single platform that exists out there. But a really easy way to reach us uh, is just by going to our website and submitting a form or chatting with the little AI bot that's on there, and he will get you right into my inbox. Uh, so we're excited to uh, excited to continue the conversation. And if you guys, if the world of mine that's listening ever needs anything, I always say I'm happy to help, um, whether it means growing Frontier or not. Like Scott and Ethan, I think we're all here to collectively grow this industry, and we're happy yeah. to do it any way we can. Absolutely. Well, great. Thanks for yeah. uh, coming on our show. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks again, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Novablock, novablock.com. Um, they believe that as mining is shifting from China to North America and other parts of the world, um, that it's going to become a, a leader in the industry. And uh, you can try out their pool. We have an offer right now. Uh, if you Go to their website, sign up, and type in Offered18, that's O-F-F-O-R-D-1-8, while you're signing up, then you can reduce your pool fees down to 1.8% um, for life. Or like we said earlier in the show, if you have uh, a larger amount of hash power that you can put to this pool, uh, you can even negotiate a, a lower fee than that. So thanks for everybody for watching.